This is Dave Smallin, and you're listening to DJ Matt Warner on Fresh Air, The Alternative. Hi, you're listening to the DJ Matt Warner Show, and today we have a very special guest. We have Dave Smallin, uh, formerly with the group called Street to Nowhere. So we have Dave with us on a phone interview. He's calling us from New York City, from Brooklyn, New York, to be exact. So Dave, please come on the line and uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, thanks for having me, Matt. I'm from Oakland, California, and I guess my little love affair obsession with music and being a musician started when, uh, I guess when I was in middle school. Well, I started realizing when I was about 11 or 12 that I was facing a life that would pretty much drive me towards having a nine-to-five job. I was, you know, going to school. I was, you know, going into high school. I was going to go to college. And from there, I was going to get a job, and I was going to work that job from the perspective of a young teenager until, you know, an age that I couldn't even imagine. And once I was done with that, well, that was it. And that just scared the hell out of me. And I was a huge, huge music fan. And as I got into high school, it became more and more important to me. I had issues with depression, and it gave me something to drive at. I wanted to connect with people, and I wanted to influence people, and I really wanted to be heard. And so when I started writing songs, um, I got a lot of positive feedback from people, and I got a lot of attention people didn't really give me before. And I started to think that, okay, maybe this is something I can do. And so as I got into college, it was just kind of on that standard track, the one that I was a little fearful of. Um, I started to really push with it, and I really got into all the things that I was into when I was a kid, uh, Weezer and Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana. I got really heavily into all of those things that influenced me a lot then, and then also started digging deeper, started finding the Beatles and Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen and Paul Simon, the American Anthology of Music and Lead Belly and all of the Alan Lomax recordings uh, I got really into. And every, everything I could get my hands on that people really liked, I just wanted to figure out why they liked it, even if I didn't like it. So um, I never really found what my own, my own sound was or is or what kind of musician I am. And I think that most musicians are so close to their music they can't really fit themselves into a genre as well as people outside can because everybody can find something that people sound like. I often get compared to Bright Eyes, but I love Bright Eyes and have been influenced by that. But, you know, it's not usually that cut and dry. So halfway through college, I ended up dropping out and I uh, recorded a record with my buddy. We recorded it in 12 different locations, in parents' basements, in our apartments, in studios, in a cabin. And eventually we were able to get into this amazing studio in Los Angeles where uh, the producer, Eric Valentine, records all his records and he owns the studio. And we were able to get in there in the middle of the night. And my buddy, Matt Radosevich, he was working for Eric, recorded the whole record. And so we had, we had this kind of hodgepodge record that took us three years, and finally we put it together, mixed it, mastered it, and put it out ourselves. The whole time I was playing acoustic shows or playing with a backing band in San Francisco and all across, kind of up and down the West Coast, and got enough of a following that I was able to sell out a club in San Francisco and started getting a little bit of attention from the industry and eventually signed to Capitol Records, and they put the record in stores across the U.S. and sent us out on tour for about a year all over the country. And eventually the music industry started to collapse, and they started to collapse with it, and <laughs> we kind of got caught in that. Our record got the plug pulled from it, and um, I ended up back in Oakland, back where it began, <laughs> and had to start over again. So that's where I'm at now. And to define myself as, as an artist isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do, but I generally don't really choose what I'm going to write. It kind of chooses me. And the things I write about, I just let them come to me because usually it's something inside that needs to be exercised a bit. So I let it form on its own, give it its own life.
So you're listening to Fresh Air The Alternative. I'm DJ Matt Werner, and we're currently talking with musician Dave Smolin on a phone interview. And so, Dave, yeah, about this being signed to Capitol Records touring the country, uh, I'm going to play some of your tracks in reverse chronological order. And one of uh, your songs that I, I think deals with some of this is the track America, which you uh, released not too long ago on your website, davesmolin.com. And I was wondering if you could just give a little introduction to America and how you came to write it, and then we'll play it for a radio audience. I wrote America after my first national tour. So this was fall of 2006. And we had been out the entire summer. It was about three months, the entire country. And I'd been pretty shocked, uh, not because things were incredibly different from California and the rest of the country, but in fact, the rest of the country was quite similar. And it was also at a point when I think everybody was just done with George W. Bush. And so traveling Bush America <laughs> and seeing that most people I encountered felt the same way I did um, really shocked me. So when I got home from this tour, I was just at my parents' house. I didn't have any other place to live. I wasn't paying rent. So came back home there. And I was just sitting in my bedroom <laughs> playing guitar, and this song poured out. Usually it takes me a couple months to write a song or a couple years, and this one I pretty much wrote in one sitting. Yeah, it's an incredible track. So you are about to listen to America by Dave Smolin. Well, I've seen this whole country, all the lonely spots, the highway stops. Nothing really changes but the weather and the way people talk. Yeah, I've seen America. And from the ghettos to the hills and to the suburbs, the same sorrows fall. It's all stomach aches and coughing, cigarettes and death and telephone calls You forgot to lock the door, America Yeah, I've seen you undressed Is it true what they told me, America? Cause you were stunning in the flesh Well, I was walking through a in Las Vegas I saw a plastic statue of liberty Proposed like Marilyn Monroe Completely absent of that silent iron dignity Yeah, I've seen America I couldn't have said it better myself Is it true what they taught me? If you believe in 
You were just listening to America by Dave Smolin. I'm DJ Matt Werner, and you are listening to Fresh Air, The Alternative, University Edinburgh Student Radio. And we have the artist Dave Smolin with us on the phone. And so, Dave, one thing I love about that track is one of the opening lines is where you talk about America, nothing really changes but the weather and the way people talk. And then you also have this image of a plastic Statue of Liberty in Las Vegas. And just sort of like these details you point out, I feel really kind of sum up or like physicalize what it's like being in kind of like small town America and traveling around. And I was curious, uh, when you write these, do you have like a little like rhyme or lyric book or do you write poetry that prepares you for the songs? Because you're mentioning with this track, it just sort of poured out. Like what's your writing process like in composing songs? Well, for this track... I don't think I wrote much down. I remember when I was actually sitting there and writing it and had that spark, that feeling that, hey, this song actually is a good one. You only get a you only get a good one or a special one maybe once every 20 times that you sit down and start writing something. And so I think I might have jotted down some lines then because I didn't want to forget. But a lot of it had already been composed in my head while I was traveling around. When you're a band on a label in the U.S. and you're getting pushed around the country, you you tend to be traveling in a van and trailer and usually you're driving for four or five or six, sometimes 10 or 11 hours a day. And um, so I would just be either at the wheel or, you know, kind of zoning out, looking out the window and thinking about and digesting everything I'd seen. And so a lot of those lines, I think I, I would say to people, when I was having conversations and because I have so many of the same conversations with people when I was talking to friends back home, they'd ask how it was. And so I think I I came up with some stock answers and I remember saying that nothing's really different, but the weather and the way that people talk. And so that one I already had the, the plastic statue of Liberty in the Marilyn Monroe pose in, uh, I think it's in New York, New York in Las Vegas and, that casino just kind of was the final straw for me. Uh, it was my first trip to Vegas. We were playing in the Mandalay Bay Casino in, in uh, the House of Blues there. And we loaded our gear and then started walking around. And I was thinking about how it was really the crossroads of America. <laughs> Everyone from all corners of the country was coming together there. And it wasn't necessarily pretty. <laughs> and when I, when I saw that image, it just freaked me out. So I, I held on to it. But I tend to, like I was saying before, I, I, I tend not to, to force anything or write anything down. I think a, a good lyric stays with you um, the way it'll stay with somebody when they hear it. So memory tends to be a pretty good filter. And I think being patient with the song and and letting it come together in your head and waiting for the right time is it's it's the best way to go to to really create something that that says something and this one just happened to to come out pretty quickly yeah in america reminds me a little bit of ben fold's song jesus land which is really interesting it's kind of about like the bible belt in america it's sort of like him traveling there and it, your song reminded me a little bit of that and then also a little bit of the writing of raymond carver uh, he wrote some brilliant short stories where, like, similar to you, he, he took common items of Americana, but talked about this notion of estrangement and sort of this notion of being a stranger in one's own country. And so as you're saying, you know, seeing, you know, Statue of Liberty in this Marilyn Monroe pose, you know, which are definite, you know, points of America, but while feeling that they're sort of foreign or they don't necessarily represent you, but then at the same time, you know, I mean, they are part of your identity as an American and... I don't know, I, I felt it's it's fascinating song, how you kind of wrestle with those different notions. Yeah. Well, I think that that was the general notion I got from, from everybody, was that this country doesn't represent me. I mean, you know, right now, I think I think people feel much, much different. But two years ago in the States, uh, it, it felt dirty being from the U.S. And there was there was some shame that everybody carried. Everybody that I interacted with, I was interacting with kids in, in rock clubs and 
the kinds of people who would start a conversation in a friendly way with a bunch of kids who looked like they were playing rock music. So there's going to be a little more liberal of a crowd. But that that was it, it was kind of a u- uniting thing <laughs> that disgust and that that shame that I think everybody had, and I, and I feel that it drove us to to really actually fix the problem we all we got we found ourselves stuck in (laughs) so you feel like there's been a big change uh switching from george bush to barack obama just because you know my listeners in scotland you know played very close attention to the u.s election i even had a show about the election and also the inauguration but do you feel like a tangible difference now that barack obama is in office i mean i think just in attitude there's a huge difference and everybody that was disgusted, as I said before, that I talked to is is proud. And I think that this is something that our generation really has ownership over. You know, no matter what happens in his presidency, however it goes, it's a big deal for all of the obvious reasons. <laughs> and so I, I really do feel there's a change. In this neighborhood in that I'm living in, I'm living in Clinton Hill in Brooklyn, and there's still Obama signs up everywhere. And I have a feeling they'll be up for years. Yeah, yeah. People were afraid to put up McCain signs in my neighborhood in Berkeley. Yeah, it's interesting. Although, I mean, I knew there were a number of, you know, McCain supporters, you know, because, I mean, you know, they're everywhere across the country. But, <laughs> but yeah, people, uh, at least in uh, Northern California, were a lot more hesitant to put up a McCain sign than the Obama sign. The few, the brave, the DJ Matt Werner. The next track I'm going to play is uh, the latest one you've released on your website, davesmallin.com, and it's entitled Every Time I Leave, I Leave for Good. And I was wondering if you could give an introduction to the song before we play it. I wrote this track after I was done with with all the touring. I got back home. Um, My friends had their CD release show, and we drove... 15 hours overnight from Salt Lake City, Utah, to play this CD release show in California. And the band's called Audrey Sessions, and they just put a new album out now. And I played it, and I was just exhausted. We'd been on the worst tour we'd been on. We played for one person next to a prison in a in a, a city in California, and we and we we just had the, all the bands on the tour. <laughs> Every show we'd show up to would say, oh, well, there was 200 people here last time we played. And, or there was, you know, at least we've never been here, but we know we have a couple dozen fans and we'd show up and there'd be three or four people and we were all running out of money. And this was after Capitol Records had merged with Virgin and weren't really supporting us. And so um, it was an exhausting tour. I came home and played this big show at a big night and woke up in the morning to find that my car had been broken into and it was just a defeating feeling. And so I, <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing in the Bay Area. I didn't have anywhere to, to live really. So I, I drove out back out to Utah <laughs> in the middle of the country where my brother was guiding whitewater rafting. And I hung out with him and just talked and talked and talked about what I'd been through. And there had been a lot of expectation that I put on myself and that people had put on me and I didn't really want to be in the Bay Area in Oakland or San Francisco. There was just too many people I would see and I'd look in their eyes and and see myself from a couple of years ago and, and I wanted to I'd wanted to come home kind of a, a rock star having made some big impact on pop culture or something. And I came back and I was just me, and everybody was really happy to see me, and it was great, but uh, I couldn't see it that way. And so I got up to Utah, and one night it started raining really, really hard, and I sat on my brother's back porch and started writing this, and uh, over the next couple months it came together. So you are about to listen to Every Time I Leave, I Leave for Good, here on Fresh Air, The Alternative. This is by Dave Smallin. I had to kick this nightclub scene I drove out into the desert heat To find my brother where he strays complete I brought the rain with me And if I really want to stay alive But there's a part of me that's gotta die My brother, he's the kindest kind No need to see the light 
If I wanted to stay, you know that I would I don't like to be misunderstood yeah, Every time I leave here, I leave for good I know, oh, I know you're not keeping track But I keep on coming back I keep coming back the way you said I Every time I leave here, I leave for good Somewhere there's a girl, I don't know her name But I get so lonely I can picture I guess right now we got a separate ways But I'm gonna marry her one day In every age that you get in life Oh, there's a sweet and there's an ugly side I try to be patient for what comes in time And thankful for what's mine Hi, you're listening to Fresh Air The Alternative. I'm DJ Matt Werner. You were just listening to Every Time I Leave, I Leave For Good by Dave Smolin. And you can download that track on davesmolin.com. And we have Dave with us on the phone. So Dave, I was wondering if you could talk just a little bit about this new website you have set up, davesmolin.com, and how you have set up uh, your new uh, download system. Well, I think that the place that the music business is in, and it's been changing a lot, since uh, since the internet really took over and recorded music became really easily accessible in a massive quantity for nothing, <laughs> pretty much. The energy it takes to go and find something and downloading it. And it used to be that there was a choice of maybe 50 bands a year that, that you could listen to, and now there's 5 million. And so I really think that instead of this being a drag, it's a real opportunity. And there's a place for lots and lots and lots of working class musicians to exist and do what they want. And it's hard to give up that notion of how music came out and and how musicians were made into icons. And I don't know if that's going to happen quite as much anymore. But there is a lot of place for a lot of people to make a living doing music. So uh, my goal right now is to just, instead of writing music, then recording music, then touring on what I recorded and then going back to writing again and taking a couple of years to do all that. I'd rather be writing, recording, 
and performing all the time. And so I decided to uh, just start releasing music track by track, accompanied by uh, a piece of artwork I do for the song, however I want, <laughs> whenever I want. So I released two songs uh, for the remainder of the year. I'm going to release songs at least once a month, and they're all recorded in studios in L.A. with session musicians and a producer, but I'm doing it on my own terms, which is kind of a new thing and kind of an experiment. So I don't know how it's going to work. It's uh, a lot more enjoyable than, than having to work with a big machine to put out your music. And one thing I like about your site as well is that it has some really good artwork in it. And, you know, I mean, we've known each other for many years, and you've always been a great artist. And the, the T-shirts that you have, too, are real fashion statements. Yeah, they're, they're terrific. And then you also have some vinyl up there as well. When did you first get into, like, the woodcuts and do that artwork? Because it seems like you've gone, you know, where so many people now are going, like, digital and with, like, Photoshop and using computer programs to create art. But it seemed like you're, you're sort of going back to a more organic art form. Well, first off, I'm glad you dig the artwork. <laughs> and... Yeah, in, in college, one of the few skills I actually learned in school was, at least in university, was printmaking. And for some reason, it stuck. And every time I would make a print, it felt different and special. And I like to do things that are my own thing, that not every person around me is going to be doing. So I think that's uh, why I was drawn to it. You know, the aesthetic of it is really organic. When you're carving out of a piece of wood, you never know what it's going to look like. You can't perfect it because sometimes you, your hand slips and you chip away more than you want. And sometimes the, you know, like when you're doing multiple layers of colors, it doesn't quite line up. I, I really, I really like those imperfections. And I really like that in my music. I think that the, the woodcuts go well with my music because I do scan them in the computer and touch them up on Photoshop and make them look exactly how I, I want to look when I present them. And I feel like that's what I do with my songs. All of the stuff I'm releasing now, I recorded with session musicians. Most of it recorded live, um, bass and drums at the same time, sometimes vocals at the same time. But music is, is constantly being touched up now, just like Photoshop. All the recording programs can touch it up in various ways, from tuning vocals um, and to making drums in perfect time. And so I like to do little elements of that to make it sound good, and I like to bring in digital instruments if they're right for the song. But I really like to begin with a really organic, really just really natural thing and go from there. So I think that's why I dig the woodcuts, and I think they go well as an aesthetic accompaniment to the music. And so now we're going to go back and look at Charmingly Awkward, the album you released with Street to Nowhere. And the first track I'm going to play is Georgia, Can You Hear Me? And this is my favorite track off that album. And I, I was wondering if you could, again, give a, uh, an introduction to this song and also talk about a little bit about uh, Street to Nowhere and this group that you toured with. Yeah, um, Street to Nowhere was a band that I started in high school and had a lot of different incarnations where I tried playing with different people, I tried playing different styles of music, and ultimately found myself playing solo acoustic for a while and built a band up around what I was doing. But mostly it was a recording project, and recording this album, Charmingly Awkward, was the centerpiece of it. And it was songs that I spent a couple years writing and we spent a couple of years tweaking and recording them but georgia can you hear me is really fun because it's all live it's all i think there might be two takes that are put together but it's just one microphone maybe about 10 feet away from me and in a big live room with a wooden floor and high ceilings and another microphone in a reverb chamber and i recorded this track at about 3 a.m and it was probably the 20th take or so that uh, got kept. So it's one of my favorites because it's because there was so much perfectionism <laughs> all across this album. This was one of the few moments where it was just a moment. So this is Georgia Can You Hear Me by Dave Smolin with Street to Nowhere. This is off of Charmingly Awkward. 
felt so holy as the candle burned down to the bar and she filled me like a voice filled the room oh, my Sort of heavy My tongue turned to lead She was gone Before I drank confidence Can you hear me? I've been crawling Through the trees Won't you whisper that you remember me? Well, I searched under rocks for the bird who flew away. If I caught her, I don't know what I would say. Cause love don't. On the tavern, it's not drunk on the balcony. It don't spill out at 2 a.m. into the street. But Georgia, can you hear me? I've been crawling through the trees. You whisper that you remember me. I was a leash with no dog, like a track with no train. Well, I hung by my hood, let the wind have its way. I was lifeless, useless, a corpse with no grid. And I sat it with no pillow pain. I was a a shedded hair on a dead man's mane From her fingers a dangled dance around the sea I got up when I was tired in the yawn And I yanked with all the strength of my arm And she tumbled from the rafters and fell to me So hard to my arms But Georgia I've been calling across the sea Through the waves shall break water Won't you whisper that you remember me? Oak, throw dirt on your face. May a soft bark sapling sprout from thee. May your bones turn to wool. May your heart be a nest and warm the world. Hi, you were just listening to Georgia Can You Hear Me? You are listening to DJ Matt Werner on Fresh Air The Alternative. Georgia Can You Hear Me is by Dave Smolin. It's off his album Charmingly Awkward, which you can find at davesmolin.com. And we have Dave Smolin on the phone with us today. 
And Dave, I remember uh, you played that track at Bottom of the Hill in San Francisco. And I remember I went to this one show, it was probably a couple or maybe a few years back, where you had everyone come up on stage who had played with you with Street to Nowhere, including Stefan Litronik, Spencer Russell Snyder, and you had, you know, all the different artists. And it was really an amazing show. And one thing I like about you are the live shows that you put on. And I know that uh, you, you've been doing shows lately, and I'm curious, do you have more gigs lined up? Yeah. Well, currently... I'm living in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and playing around this area, playing a lot in New York City and the surrounding cities. I'm out here because the drives are small, and I can easily go and play a show in Philadelphia or Boston or Washington, D.C., and it's it's really easy to do so. I'm also starting fresh, having having disbanded Street to Nowhere and starting off under my own name, I want to be in a new place. So I'm focusing in this region and I'm playing every couple months in California and then I'll probably be touring more nationally once I've released more songs and gotten to the place where I'm ready to do so. Do you want to talk a little bit about why uh, Street to Nowhere disbanded and why you went as a solo artist? Well, Street to Nowhere was so many different things that essentially were me attempting to not be a solo artist. <laughs> I, I really wanted to have a band because all of my favorite bands were groups of people that weren't one person. But every time I'd, I'd pull it together, it, it just wouldn't work out. When, when I did so the final time, putting together a group of guys to tour nationally with me, it was under the circumstances of a record deal. And when you get a record deal, there's an advance that gets paid and, and there's contracts that get signed and there's lawyers and there's accountants and there's managers and there's booking agents and these people all come out of the woodwork all of a sudden. And ultimately it was very <laughs> very intense thing to become to be at age twenty one the boss of all of these these people and also a bandmate to people that didn't record with me. And I tried it. <laughs> and we had we had an amazing time together. Uh, we saw the country, we went out, we, we had a lot of fun, but, uh, but ultimately there wasn't a big connection. So when I went back to record a second album and the songs I'm releasing now are from the recording project that I thought would be Street to Nowhere's second album, I ultimately want to go about it alone, um, having spent a lot of time with these guys and knowing their tastes and knowing their, you know, where, how they like to play, what kind of musicians they are. I knew it wasn't where I was at. And so I had I had an idea of the kind of record I wanted to make and I wanted to be proud of these tracks all my life instead of making compromises towards the the way that other people play. So ultimately when I was done it felt it felt like something new and something different. Uh, so I I decided it shouldn't be streets of nowhere anymore and I should I should uh you know, take the take the risk and Go by my own name. So the next track we're going to play is You Can't Go to Sleep off of the album Charmingly Awkward. You're listening to Fresh Air, The Alternative.
to make her feel unwanted Now you can't go to sleep You gotta make her want it Hi, this is DJ Matt Warner. You're listening to Fresh Air The Alternative. You're just listening to You Can't Go to Sleep by Dave Smolin. That's off of the album Charmingly Awkward by Street to Nowhere. And we have Dave Smolin with us on the phone. So in this interview earlier on, you're talking a little bit about the recording industry. And I remember meeting up with you some years back right when you were signed. And this was in this phase when you were kind of being wined and dined by different uh, record label execs. And I remember uh, stories of limos would pick you up. Uh, I was wondering if you could kind of paint a picture of what, what it's like or how the record industry is set up and why, why you've sort of stepped away from that for the time being. Well, I don't even know how it is set up right now. But at that time, once a few key people took notice of what I was doing and the recordings that my friends and I had made, all of them um, came at us, or not all of them, but most of them checked us out, at least wouldn't listen, requested a CD. And a few of them had us come down to Los Angeles from Oakland or flew us out to New York City, and we played showcases and met with people. Um, we, had a, we had a couple people that made it a little more of a party, which was fun. We uh, were taken out on the company card and driven around New York City in town cars and Escalades and put up in really really nice hotels and I remember one night we were served sushi with gold leaf on top of it and I believe that the guy that uh, that was spending all that money on us didn't last too long in this position yeah because I feel like the the companies were were trying to be a little more economic at that time but it was a crazy experience it wasn't comfortable for me in any way. Um, I was 21, and I remember uh, a town car pulled up in front of my mom's house to pick me up and take me to the airport, and my mom was taking pictures of the town car as it drove away, and uh, it was just such a strange juxtaposition to have my home life and this seemingly fantasy kind of rock star life presented to me. But ultimately, I found that it's all kind of a joke, that all that is there to make you feel you know, feel amazing and not really pay attention to the business aspects of it. And it's it's really not what, what it's about. It's about music and it's about um, connecting with people. And that was what I was comfortable with. So ultimately it was an interesting experience to know what it was like to, to, to go through that, to know what it was like to meet with uh, the CEO of a big company and to see platinum records on the walls and to be introduced to famous musicians that I really, really, really respected. And it was 
amazing opportunities, but ultimately, ultimately it didn't make me very happy. And in fact, stressed me out a lot because (laughs) while everybody was having fun around me, I was really, really concerned about having to make a decision about who I should sign away the rights to, um, who I should give my record to. So that was really, it was a really difficult time. I had a friend who had gone through the experience who I, I talked to one night outside a club where everybody else was drinking inside <laughs> on the company credit card. And he said to me, this might not be the best time of your life, but there will never be a time of your life like this again. So enjoy it. Yeah. And you, you'd spoken earlier about wanting to return as a, a rock star to home. And I know, you know, it, it happens occasionally, like with the plain white tees, like who you played with, um, you know, the Hey There Delilah song that, you know, like everyone knows got a lot of play. And I remember yeah, you recently told me the story about Death Cab for Cutie and how, you know, meeting them when they're at, you know, the, the height of their fame. And yet, you know, things don't necessarily change. And I'm curious as to what do you see your goal is now as a musician? Like, is it to become like a household name like Kanye West? Or is it just to get your art out there, just to, you know, authentically express yourself, your music and your artwork? I mean, I think that there's, in a capitalist culture, there's always that drive to have the most people as possible be connected to what you create. But ultimately, immediately when I signed a record deal, I came to the conclusion that success is measured in happiness. And so I think that the things that drive happiness should be focused on a little more. And ultimately what, I, what I'd like to do is live a happy life financed by the thing I love to do. And the thing I love to do is connect with people. And uh, I love to write music and perform music. I love to make art. I love to write in general. And I think that everybody wants to be, wants to feel recognition for what they create. But I, I don't know if I've ever felt more, more like an artist than I do now. I know, I know when I was a teenager, and I think a lot of people feel this, they, they, they have something, it's a, it's a big world, and they want to prove something to that world, and they want to take it on. And I think that anyone can. And I think that if there's anything you really want to do, you can make it happen by being patient and being at the same time impatient. So you're always pushing at it. But, you know, and as for those two bands you mentioned before, Death Cab for Cutie and the Plain White Tees, both of those bands were touring and touring and touring on their own without a lot of support for maybe, you know, eight, nine, ten years before uh, they got any real recognition. When I played with the Plain White Tees the first time, it was in maybe 2002 in a warehouse in Oakland, California, <laughs> where, and they'd gotten out to Oakland on their own dime from, from Chicago. <laughs> and, uh, and then I kept hearing about them over the years and, and uh, remembering having played with them. And then one day they were all, all over the radio, but I knew from you know, following them that that band had put a lot of work to get where they were at. And ultimately, really, the success, I think, of, of their music and same to be said with Death Cab for Cutie is that it really connects with people in a lasting way. And I think that the more time you spend really eating ish on the road and and trying to be a working artist, the the more you really start to appreciate real art and um, start to demand that of yourself. So I, I don't think I think I'd fall somewhere in between <laughs> what you said. I can't deny that I'd like to get recognition for what I do, but at the same time, I wouldn't want to compromise to the level where I'm not making real art because the real goal is to connect with people. Um, another question for you, because I've known you for a long time. We first met in 1998. Can you believe it? We've known each other for over a decade now. And I remember back in high school, you said that you tried to play your guitar every day. And I was wondering, do you still try to play your guitar every day? Um, I don't have to try to play my guitar every day. I definitely do any day where I can pick it up. There's a lot of days where I'm traveling or have to deal with what life brings, I guess. Um, but uh, now it's something more. I, I think at the time I, I, I wanted to be a guitarist <laughs> and then maybe I wanted to be a singer. And now I really feel like I'm not, I'm not a guitarist or a singer, but I'm a songwriter. 
and whether I'm playing piano or guitar or, or anything. So I'm always writing songs. Whenever I hear somebody say something that just kind of lifts me in whatever way, sparks something in my mind, I always try to remember it. I think about how that could be the focal point of a song, sort of the thesis statement of a song. And, and so I think I'm always writing songs. I wake up, I'm writing songs. When I go to sleep, I'm writing songs. When I'm walking around, when I'm talking to people, I try to play guitar every day, but I think it's kind of graduated from there. And so the final track we're going to play is a really fun track. It's kind of your party track off of Charmingly Awkward that you released with Street to Nowhere. It's called Tipsy. The end of this song, it's, it sounds like a crazy recording, like you're having a party or drinking champagne or something. I was curious, just about the uh, recording of this. We were drinking Corona. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> so this is Tipsy by Dave Smolin. Hello, my friend, how's your evening been? Oh, you're drunk again. Well, hush it now, hush it now, hush it now, hush it. Well, I don't mind, but your sister might. Oh, but you're off night. Well, I'ma keep thinking, you keep drinking. I'll blink and I drink all day.
This is Dave Smallin, and you're listening to DJ Matt Warner on Fresh Air, The Alternative. Hi, this is DJ Matt Warner. You're listening to Fresh Air, The Alternative. You are just listening to Tipsy, uh, which is off the charmingly awkward album by Street to Nowhere. The head of the band formerly known as Street to Nowhere is Dave Smallin, and we have Dave Smallin on the phone with us. And Dave, uh, just the final question I have uh, before we let you go, are your thoughts, it's the same question I asked Talib Kweli on my show last week, and it, what are your thoughts on autotune? Because right now, especially in the hip-hop world, uh, autotune is being almost overused. I mean, you got Lil Wayne, Kanye West, T-Pain, so many musicians now are using it. And I'm curious, like, if you use it, or do you see your art at all going into the overuse of autotune, kind of like Kanye West's latest tracks? I don't think there's a track that you could hear on the radio from the last eight years or so that doesn't have autotune on it. Most every artist uses it. And it's kind of like how models and magazine ads tend to have Photoshop airbrush on them. And I have, I have mixed feelings about it. I think when it gets cranked up, like on the latest Kanye record, which I really, really like, and you know, when it comes to like T-Pain or Lil Wayne or any of them, they're using it in a, in a really cranked up way where it sounds digital and like a robot and it's, it's really clear. And I think, I think that could be used really cool. I think Kanye's, you know, found a way to do some really successful artistic things with it. His beats use it a lot. I've actually found that pretty, pretty cool. When I'm recording, when I'm recording, I tend to try to stay away from it if I can. Ultimately, the goal is to sing so well that I don't need it. And um, to sing so well when I'm in the studio tracking with a group of musicians around me that I can just keep the track that I sing in the studio. And that doesn't always happen. On the tracks I'm releasing this year, there's three of them that are totally live. The vocal I cut when everybody was cutting their parts. And then for most everything else, it's overdubbed. And I think it can be used tastefully. I think it needs to be, I think it needs to be taken in a case-by-case way. If something's going to sound better because it has it on it, it's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Ultimately, what you're trying to make is something that connects to people in the way you want it to connect. And if autotune helps that cause, then I think that's great. And I think that uh, I think that it, can, it can get a little bit scary. I have a feeling there'll be, you know, when anything gets too much, people pull back from it somewhat. So I think there'll be some nice out-of-tune recordings <laughs> coming out soon. But, but yeah, case by case, I think it's, I think it's okay. It's, it's there, it exists, and it's being used very widely. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, that's a similar answer uh, Talib Kweli had, where he said that it all depends on the track. Yeah, for sometimes, you know, it, it's needed, and then other times pushing it if you, uh, if you overuse it. So Dave Smallin, thank you so much for taking time out and talking with the DJ Matt Warner Show on Fresh Air, The Alternative. Man, thank you so much for having me. And so, uh, again, just to download your tracks, America and Every Time I Leave, I Leave for Good, and also to purchase your album, Charmingly Awkward, where should uh, the fans go? Uh, my website, davesmallin.com. Excellent. So, Dave, thanks again. Oh, thank you so much. This is Dave Smallin, and you're listening to DJ Matt Warner on Fresh Air, The Alternative. DJ Matt Warner, only on Fresh Air.